Christianity is so unique because it is the only belief system in the universe, if I could be so bold, that ascribes value to you. Innate value, right? Exactly. You, it's the only belief system where you don't earn your value. It is given to you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a podcast designed for people who want to know what they believe and why they believe it. For Mm -hmm. people who are looking for coaching and how to think for themselves and how to answer questions about their faith. We live in a world that is so shallow that when life gets tough, shallow answers (laughs) just don't cut it anymore. So... We are going to teach you how to do it. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Welcome, everybody, today to the Salty Pastor podcast. I'm really excited about our parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and how it applies to our world today in some really practical ways. Uh, However, we're not going to talk about things that are just like frivolous. I think we need to talk about things that are indicators of some really deep-seated things that are transpiring and how we as followers of Christ and the kingdom of God can respond to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And on Tuesday, we discussed the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, like Mm -hmm. you said. And Jesus uses these two stories to communicate a very simple truth. And whenever we lose something of value, we go out to find it, and then we experience joy when we do. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the question remains, what brings God joy and when how how does that translate when people lost people are found basically right like because mm-hmm. ultimately that's what the parable is about it's not really about a sheep or a coin it's about when right. lost people in the world are found and come to know mm-hmm. jesus and are saved mm-hmm. god and the heavens celebrate right because they are of value yeah the point of the parable you know this extended metaphor is simply that uh Jesus says there is more celebrating in heaven when one sinner repents than 99 righteous people that don't need to. Right. Which is kind of a little bit of a jab because the point is everybody needs to. Everybody needs to. And you see the prodigal son, which caps off the these sets of parables in Luke chapter 15, and you realize that what Jesus really does is say, we all need to repent because we don't understand what salvation is. And if you remember the week before, we talked about how he uh, redefined salvation is not uh, following a religion so that God approves of you. It's being redeemed by God in order to be in his presence. And so that's a different sense of salvation. So when well, lost a, people are found, that's the celebration. And it's a value statement, right? Yeah. That because again, we we go back to the context of where he's telling the story is, which is in front of these Pharisees and scribes as well as sinners, and he's saying, just God rejoices and is is excited about the people that have messed up and are considered at that time the trash of the world. He's just as excited to bring them to salvation as the people that are already saved. He wants Mm -hmm. you both. You're both equally valuable. You both matter to me. Well, because what religion does is, you know, religious ceremony is like, well, you need to follow all of these uh, rites. You need to follow the rules. You need to follow the, the actions. And if you fail in those, 
you are no longer acceptable, right? So the difficulty with that is there's no grace and there's no redemption in religion. And that's why for the first 250 years, Christianity was not considered a religion at all. Now, the Jews for a while said, well, it's a form of Judaism, right? right? And then you had other people say, well, it's a form of this. But the Romans actually referred to them as atheists for the first 250 years because they understood, I think, that this is not a religion. It's not a whole set of uh, rules and ceremonies that you follow and obligations. And because of that, then that's how you're identified what the Romans saw is that this is a totally different way of thinking and approaching life. So it was a total shift in worldview or a belief system. And so that was what was significant. And so Christianity was not really a religion. And therefore, when Jesus said, look, when lost people are found, God celebrates. And in the parable of the prodigal son, he says the difficulty is, is the younger son was lost, right? But the older son was lost, too, because he thought religion would get him there. Right. And he prefaces, prefaces that point with these two parables by saying God's greatest joy is finding lost people coming to him. So whether you're a religious person, right, a very, very good person, or if you are, like you said, people who are really on the out of society, in this society in particular, it doesn't matter. When you come to God. He celebrates. So talk to me about what lost really means, maybe in today's day and age, or just in general. We use this phrase, lost people. They're not out lost in the wilderness where search and yeah. rescue is looking for them. Yeah. That's that's a geographical lostness. We're talking yeah. about something else. Talk to me Spiritual about that. Spiritual lostness. And I think, well, there are three qualities of being lost in the world today, and that is you have no identity, you have no value, and then you have no bonds, relational bonds that actually okay. last. So let's dig into each of those. The first thing is, I think, is this notion of identity. The When you're lost, you have no real sense of who you are. And so what you do is you adopt religions in order to try to define yourself. That's just a common human experience. And that is some people, you know, they generally will adopt whatever cultural belief that they were raised in, right? Right. And so if you were born, you know, in Sri Lanka, then you're going to adopt the cultural ancestral belief system that they have here. What's interesting is people try to say, well, the only reason people are Christians today <laughs> is because of the society in which they were raised, which this, of course, is a spurious criticism. It's, it's anti-intellectual. Because what you do is you look at, first of all, Christianity is the largest belief system in the world, 2.8 billion people. It exists in Western cultures, Eastern cultures, third world cultures, first world cultures, tribal, even, you know, Indian cultures that have never seen modern day technology or phenomena, so, uh, Amazonian tribes, uh, Papua New Guinea tribes that still used to practice, uh, uh, cannibalism. So, so the notion that the, the point is, is that what that proves is that no, what Christianity does is it enters into cultures regardless of what they are. And because it's not a religion, it's a belief system. It transforms those cultures, right? You don't have to speak a specific language to be a Christian. 
You don't have to wear a certain outfit, eat a certain diet. You don't have to have a certain number of prayers. It doesn't define how specifically there's ways and suggestions on how to pray. Jesus teaches how to pray, follow that model. But there's no, you have to say this word this many times. There's no repetitive ceremonial ritualistic statement. You don't have to do it in Latin. You don't have or, to go to a specific holy site in order to be connected. Yeah. And you don't have to follow these specific dietary habits like Islam today. You know, if you're going to read the Quran, you have to read it in Arabic. You're not allowed to read it in any other language. If you, you have to dress a certain way, you have to eat certain things. You have to fast at certain times. There's all these religious prescriptions. And so the issue is, is this, when people have no identity, they turn to religion to find one. One of the biggest religions today is the self-expressive religion and that is uh revolves around the lgbtq plus community which really isn't a community uh that's quite a uh false statement it's not a block of a unified group of people as a matter of fact the the letters in this community when you look at it they actually stand for dramatically different things which are in opposition to one another which is kind of interesting. But what, one, one of the specific letters in there is T in the most uh, probably prolific, I would say, debate right now is on transgenderism, right? Yeah. Can a woman say she's a man and then we all have to say she's a man now, right? Or a guy says he's a woman identifies as a woman and that we all have to let him be a believe that he's a guy, but we all have to participate in this, uh, statement, right. That he could do. And so you see this in women's sports, you know, you have these guys that are saying they were average or nothing, you know, athletes, uh, in their respective field identify as women and now they dominate. One, one that's really is, and I find this quite fascinating, is the woman of the year in Australia is a woman named Hannah who was a guy for about 24 years. And he was an average rugby player, very average. And down there, rugby's massive. Right. And he, he then identified as a woman and started playing rugby with women. And you look, look at a picture of this guy. He is massive compared to all the women he plays with. And what does he do? He dominates, right? So he's winning all these awards in the women's league. And so they chose a man, a biological man, as the woman of the year. That sounds a little odd to me, you know? If you're going to pick a woman to be, wouldn't you want to pick a woman, a female, to be the woman of the year? Yeah, I mean, and it's the pressure it's putting on those women as well to have to deal with that situation and and compete against somebody who physically is a completely different category yeah than and them. i and that's and i i think that's if anything that's oppressing those women more because now it's no yeah. longer the sport that they signed up for and that's i don't well think it's that that's erasing fair. the identity of women yeah, you know a female be- the unique special wonderful qualities of a female are now lost because anybody or anything could be a female as long as they say they are. And then when that happens, if I may quote syndrome from the Incredibles, when everybody has a superpower, you know, nobody's special, right? Nobody has unique value anymore. You yeah. see? And, and, th- and now how do we get here? I guess is a better question. And that is, uh, the re- people are like, well, how did this get to this point where 
men now play sports and beat up on women and are awarded for it. Uh, I was raised to say that that was wrong. You know, you don't abuse women or hurt women or treat women poorly. You treat them fairly, honorably, justly, and you ascribe to them the value that God has ascribed to them. And so what I find today is interesting is this, is that what a lot, I don't think a lot of people realize philosophically how we got here. And how we got here philosophically is in the Obersfell versus Hodge's decision, which is the decision that made same-sex marriage a constitutional right. Now, the basis of that decision was an argument that said one's identity can be built on your sexual orientation. Now, by the way, research shows there is an orientation. People have an orientation towards things, right? it would fall in the category of preference, right? But more than just a, a, a taste preference, like, well, I like, you know. Spicy food versus sp- yeah. non-spicy food. Yeah, exactly. Uh, taste preference, it's more of a, but it is a drive preference, right? We all have drives, and those drives can be fulfilled in different ways. Like, for instance, sleep is a drive, right? Some people are night owls, and they go to bed what? late yep some people are early risers so they go to bed early early so their biorhythm is tied to the sun and you know they they want to go to sleep i'm an early riser so basically in the winter time in idaho i want to go to bed at five o'clock when the sun leaves but but then of course no matter when i go to bed i always wake up exactly seven hours later Mm. You know, so, so there it's a drive preference right but it's just an orientation now, what the argument was is that your orientation can be the foundation of your authentic self, which is your identity. So this, of course, is simply not true because it doesn't take into account any of the qualities that make you you. That is sentience, uh, emotional depth, will, heart, all of these types of things. And doesn't reflect reality scientific research, qualitative psychology at all. And so the end result, though, has been that because you can build your identity on something that isn't actually your identity, what it does is it devalues your humanity. So you lose your value. And that's the problem we have today. When you adopt the premise that orientation can form an identity, then any drive you have, any proclivity, any desire can be used to form an identity. But this, of course, results in a devaluation of personhood. Case in point, uh, there is now a movement uh, in schools in particular. It comes out of the LGBTQ plus thing. It's called furries. And this is based on a sexual preference, a sexual manifestation of a sexualization of young girls in particular. They, they believe that they're cats, okay? And of course, we are being told that this is not an issue. Uh, some parents in Colorado, Jefferson County School District, went and said, hey, there's a problem with a bunch of these girls that are identifying as cats. You know, they're, they're hissing at boys and scratching them and, you know, being uh, bullies. They were bullying boys, and these young boys are like, what do you do with this? I don't know. Told their parents. They went to the school district and said, this is a problem. Well, the progressive movement came out 
the teachers union came out and said, these parents are lying. This isn't true. This isn't happening. This is just an urban myth. And you're making this up so that you can attack schools, uh, you know, in some right wing conspiracy. Well, guess what? CBS News in Colorado found this one month after Jefferson County School Administrators Administrators denied that kids were dressing up as so-called furries at school. CBS News Colorado has obtained emails showing that the district was aware of the issue and yet denied it was happening. Darlene Edwards is among the parents who wrote in. She says that her 14-year-old son came home from school and said classmates were dressing up in animal costumes. She initially urged him to just ignore them. But it got progressively worse, Edwards told CBS News Colorado. He said, but mom, they're scratching, hissing, and barking. And he was getting agitated, overwhelmingly frustrated. Edwards says her son, who is on the autism spectrum, became so upset that she sent an email to the Jefferson County School District saying he does not see the fairness of these students being able to act inappropriately and dressed in a manner that is disruptive to learning. But according to her sixth grade niece, she told the district the kids also walk on all fours in the hallway, eat with their faces in their food, and refer to themselves as animals avengers, right? So they don't like people. And what they really don't like is they don't like any person who is a reflection of normal Judeo-Christian values that built America, right? And people don't understand this movement. But what happened is a woman who was a Democrat a gubernatorial candidate addressed it. She then converted to a Republican because of this issue. She says, kids are identifying as cats. And then it became a controversy. And guess what? They covered it up. And then this news, you know, and we want to give them props for actually doing their jobs, found emails among school officials. They knew this was happening and yet they covered it up. Now, why do they cover it up? So the whole point of schools is anti-bullying. We don't want to bully, right? But now you have a group that they consider, and this is when Marxist social identities enter into the program or into, into the uh, discussion and becomes a basis for decision-making. You get this kind of stuff, and that is you get these statements, of, well, these furries are barking, scratching, right? And... Uh, avenging against what they consider to be, you know, white male patriarchy boys who are 14 years old. Well, that's not abuse. That's not bullying, right? Because they're in a protected class. It's, it's the exact same statement that says, you know, a lot of people believe, well, if I'm part of a minority group, I can't be racist, which of course is false, <laughs> you know, because racism is simply judging in a derogatory way someone based on what? Their ethnicity or race. Right. So anybody can be racist, right? And so that's really important to understand is that once you change the whole notion of identity and what it's built on, you devalue people. And then you get into these situations. Well, and I, here's, here's a couple thoughts on that. One, when you boil your entire humanity down to just what you are sexually attracted to, yes, that feels like a pretty pathetic existence to me. Like, I, not, I mean, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but it's like, 
I just is getting salty. I am more like I am an unmarried man. I am not having sex. Therefore, am I just nothing until I am right. out? You have no identity. I have no identity. Like that's no, that's not at all true. Right? Like yeah. that doesn't make sense. That that's the only thing that defines you, and that you would put so much emphasis on that when yeah. there's so many other things about you that are wonderful, lovely, perfect, and great. That people can enjoy the other thing that i want to bring up is you you talked about you know uh there's this idea that if you're in another ethnic class you can't be racist and it's like uh there's a, one of my close friends he went to a training a dni training yeah and the person who was presenting did an amazing thing where he basically had everyone stand up and said okay well if you're a woman sit down if you are this ethnicity sit down if you have this sexual orientation sit down if you're this 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 by the end there was like him and two other guys yeah. all white straight men and that lady looked at them and said those three guys are the only people that have no protection from dni training yeah <laughs> So like, the the trainer pointed out the hypocrisy of it all. Basically, awesome. Of, Good of for like, them, right? Good it's, for it's, them. It's interesting, but it, it's right, right? Like, yeah. if you are, if you now are a white straight male, you can't really complain about anything because there's no protection for you. Yeah. Like, it, it's just no. You're part of the patriarchy, or you're part of the problem we got here, and these people need the protection more than you do. And it's like, well, at this, at some point, that. The, all the protections go over to the other side, and now you've yeah. just unbalanced the scales in the opposite direction. This is no longer about balance. It's about... Yeah. It's not about equality. It's about equity. Right. And so I think it's really important to understand that. And this idea of of, of this value and and these kids who are dressing up as cats, it's like, yeah, it's it's definitely something that is going on. I mean, you you brought up a news story, I think, last year about someone who wanted, uh, I think, cat dishes installed by all the water fountains yeah. because she identified as a furry and it's and her parents went to the school board asking for it and they yeah. were like, we're not doing that. Yeah. Like, that's the, yeah, not happening. They, good for them. They didn't do it. Right. But the request was there. Would you please? She doesn't want to drink out of a water fountain. She wants to drink out of a dish. And you should provide it. As a school yeah. district, you should provide... Yeah this feature for my child who identifies as a cat and it's like and what's so sad about all of this is when you get into equity as opposed to equality and you get into instead of just saying here's a fair level field if it, you know there's no protections for anybody it's all that go out and make it what you are now do some people in some areas of that field have disadvantages yes but the the thing about humanity is since there's no perfect human being every human being regardless of their ethnicity has a disadvantage, right? You have disadvantages. Uh, it might be an IQ issue. It might be the way you were raised. It might be, there. no one is perfect. No one's ever been raised perfect. There's no such thing as perfection when it comes to human beings. So everybody has a dis disadvantage. But if the field is level, then what happens is, uh, is people will bond together in groups, your strength and my weakness if we become friends, can be compensated. Then I share my strength with you that covers your weakness. But in equity, what you do is you destroy the capacity to make bonds. And that's, that's what happens. So when you lose your identity or have no identity based in reality, then what happens is you lose any and all capacity to value yourself. 
And then what it ends up in these situations is no bonding. Mm. And so society, nations, families, marriages, parent-child relationships are torn apart. I've had many times when parents come to me and say, my child went off to college, got involved in this ideology, and they've come back. I have no idea how to relate to my child anymore. Okay. So it's really interesting how that, that what this does is these ideologies are extremely divisive. They're not unifying in any way, shape or form. And so that's why I think the church though needs to do more than what it's doing right now, because the people of God must have a clear vision, a clear understanding of where I, what identity is and where it comes from, because only then will people experience true value and that will bring a bonding for instance, let's talk about this. Let's dig into it. Number one, where does your identity come from? What's really interesting. We talked about this religion versus a relationship with God earlier mm-hmm. in religion. Where does your value come from? What would your guess be? Uh, probably based on how many gold stars you get from your acts. Exactly. Right? Like you're trying to, it's on your gold. performance. Your perfor- It's a performance review. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yo, you, you've done all these prayers. You fasted at Ramadan. You are always at the mosque. You're always right. doing this. You have this many wives. You've raised your kids and, and, you know, you follow all the fatwas and the hadiths and da, 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 you know? So that, that's a perfect example. Sometimes Christianity falls into that too, right? Well, some, you know, El- Latter-day Saints are very oriented that way right? Yep. You're, you're working up a tier system. You're working up a tier system in order to get your temple card stamped, right? And you have to, it can't get stamped unless by a bishop who approves of your lifestyle. You've done everything you need to do, but you know, what's so interesting is in, uh, so that's Islam, that's LDS. You look at Buddhism, same thing, right? You look at uh, Hinduism. That's very much a work your way up. Most people follow what is called the path of devotion. You find a lesser God, and then you devote yourself to doing whatever you can to please them. But here's what's really interesting is Christianity is so unique because it is the only belief system in the universe, if I could be so bold, that ascribes value to you. Innate value, right? Exactly. You, it's the only belief system where you don't earn your value. It is given to you freely. Mm. That's why it's so radical and why it turns everything upside down. And when, when I understand what my identity is, basically, I believe what God says about me that reflects reality, then my identity okay, is ascribed to me. And that brings me value. That's my value is given to me. And when it's given to you, guess what? It can never be taken away even by yourself Mm. and your failure to live up to your own expectations. Right. That's why it's so radical. So this is why when lost people are found, Heaven celebrates because people are finding their authentic identity. They're no longer listening to the world and trying to find a religious approach to discover who they are. And then that brings huge value to them. So when you adopt the premise that an orientation can form an identity, like you said earlier, anything that you're doing or pursuing, right, uh, becomes a, a, a part of that. But as soon as it's taken away, what happens to your identity? 
it's gone. Well, and we see this in political parties as well, right? Like if if you just carte blanche subscribe to a political party and whatever they say they're doing, yes. when they mess up or when someone says and tries to have a debate with you about why that might not be right, you no longer listen. That It really cuts your bonds. And we're seeing that more and more, right, with the right. bifurcation of our country over political lines because it's, no, the Democratic Party or no, the Republican Party could never do anything wrong. Anything they say must be right. And I got to sit with them the whole time. It's the same idea with the the sexual orientation when all of your value is stored up in identifying as one thing. Right. If someone ever argues against that, all of your value is coming from that identity and mm-hmm. you're going to fight you're going to attack them. You're going to attack them because it's the only thing that's holding your identity together. Mm-hmm. And then that causes bonds to separate, which is why we're also seeing everyone kind of retreating into echo chambers of themselves because it's like, right. I don't have to listen to someone tell me that I might yeah. not be able to identify myself completely based off of a political party, sort of sexual orientation, whatever it may be, yeah. where God says, no, you innately are a three-dimensional, you are not defined by one word right. other than... Jesus, right? right? Like you are covered, but I love every aspect of you. You don't always make great choices, but I love every aspect of you. And you are so much more than just the political party you are or the sexual orientation you are or whatever. And that gives you so much more freedom of, I don't have to attack people because I know I have innate value. I don't have to impress anyone here because God loves me. And no when your what. value comes is ascribed to you, your identity and your value is ascribed to you, given to you freely, then guess what? You don't have to be offended. Yeah. You don't have to go through with all this worry and anxiety that your identity is not going to be accepted and it's going to it's going to harm you in any way, shape, or form. It's like, well, get, get, say whatever you want, give your best shot. I don't care. You I know, know where it comes from. Yeah, I, I think you know. Uh, just kind of to wrap up here, something that I think is really important is uh, Paul said. Let me start by saying this. Paul says that boasting is not profitable, but sometimes mm. it's necessary. And right now in America, there are more pastors over 60 than there are under 40. And the reason why is because very, very few people, oh, I mean, less than I think 5% now, make it to the point in ministry, full-time ministry that I have made it to. Mm. One of my really good friends back in are Kansas. Are you over 60, Pastor? No, I'm not over 60. <laughs> I'm, I'm about nine months away or 10 months away. But, but I've been in the ministry for 37 years full time. And very few people ever achieve that. And the reason why is because it's strange, but you're constantly attacked, Mm. right? And you're constantly attacked by other people who say they're Christians. And one of the things they do is Christians know how to hurt each other real good. Yeah, They're really good. And what they do is they assail your character all the time. Well, I've been accused of fathering illegitimate children and people demanded to see my tax returns. My wife was really, what are you running for president? (laughs) I've been accused of that. I've been, I've been accused of being a homosexual and having homosexual relationships on many occasions by many people. Uh, we don't go to that church because you know, he, he has done this. Of course, that's completely ludicrous. I've been accused of embezzling money, you know, and it's so funny because, you know, our church, uh, when the ECFA was functioning and working, were, 
we were audited. We're audited by an outside organization every couple of years. And these are reports, they're published online. And so, and yet people would still do that. I've been accused of so many things by so many people over the years. And I'm just saying, that's why, that's why people don't stay in it for so long. And people say, what's your secret? You know, you must be, you must be so thick skinned that you gotta go, no, that's not it. I'm not thick skinned. Oh, it must be because, you know, you're wise. Nope, I'm not very wise. Oh, it must be because you never make mistakes. Well, that's a joke. That happens all the time. I said, the reason why is because I know my value doesn't come from what I do or even what I choose. You know, or, or, I mean, not, let me rephrase that. It's not what I do. It's not how I choose to organize the church. Um, it's, it's not necessarily the fruit that is produced off the ministry and how many people follow. It all comes down to this is that God, because I've been redeemed through Christ and him has ascribed me value. And there's nothing these people can say or do to take that away. Mm. But very few young pastors can, can get to that point. And so I think that's what's happening is that is that until that's addressed, Christianity in America is going to struggle, right? Because right now people are not, you know, gracious and loving towards their leaders at all. They spend the majority of their time trying to tear them down because of their own insecurities, their own falsehoods, their own false identities, their own false form of value. And that's, that's why this is such an important issue. That's why these parables are so critically important yeah. because what it does is it shows us the true nature of what faith is. And that is nothing else than to know Christ and allow him to give me the value that he says he wants to give to me. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Pastor, for that riveting discussion that we had. And I hope you guys got as much out of it as I did today, um, all about identity, value, and bonds here uh, in our current day and age and how Jesus addressed them all the way back in <laughs> 2000 plus years ago. So thank you guys so much for joining us here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. We will see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. Blessings.